UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And once again, a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Now, throughout Advent and Christmas, we have had a theme running on UCB1 based around the message to Isaiah, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And because at UCB1, our commitment is to build faith for everyday life, faith that is relevant for a Monday or a Wednesday, as well as a Sunday sitting in church, we wanted to know what does it mean, that idea of Emmanuel, God with us, in our everyday life? What does it mean for your everyday life today that God says he is with you? So for Life Issues, we ask two Bible teachers to share their perspective. Next week, as we look forward into the new year and stand at the gate and seek a light that will guide us into an unknown future, as the poem would have it, we will explore the reality of Emmanuel and what it might mean for me in the days that are to come. But this week, in the run-up to Christmas, we want to talk about Emmanuel in terms of the imagery of the Bible the examples and themes that give an insight into God's intent and the outworking of this enormous concept that is distilled into a single word. The plan he had, not just to redeem us, but to make himself known, to make himself accessible, to make himself our companion on the journey of life, faith and worship. My guest to do that this week is Dr. John Andrews. DrJohnAndrews.co.uk is his website. He's an author, a speaker, a pastor, a Bible teacher, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, he's top of our go-to list when it comes to understanding the heart of God's Word. And of course, is now also a podcaster, John. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Your, your your introduction to me just gets better and better. And I'm sort of nervous about even uh, hearing myself speak now. Uh, but yes, we are podcasting. Twotext.com is going great. People are loving the Jesus-centric conversation we're having around that. We're just finishing a little series called Miracles. And uh, we hope it's blessing people and encouraging people. So yes, thank you. And you can find that at twotexts.com. Um this idea of Emmanuel, I mean, I wonder if we could start with a very personal perspective, because Emmanuel, God with us, it is a phenomenally vast concept that is distilled into that one word, isn't it? So before we go anywhere else, what does that mean on a personal level to John Andrews? Uh, well, quite simply, Paul, it means everything. Um, I think once we experience the grace, the goodness, the loving kindness of the God who is Emmanuel. Um, it is transformational. And certainly my encounter with the Lord, my transformation through that encounter, and also the fact that since the moment where, can I use the language, I met him, I experienced him, encountered him. Uh, he has walked with me, never left me. And uh, preserved my life. I'm pretty certain, Paul, uh, without overstating the case, you know, I became a follower of Jesus when I was eight. Last week, I turned uh, 55 years of age. Um, and I am pretty certain that I would not be here if it wasn't for the reality of God being with us. I think he has literally preserved my life. Uh, he has watched over my family. He has been strength 
When I have been weak, he has been my light in the darkness, and he has been my sustenance in my moments of uh, disillusionment and disappointment, and he has remained a fortress and rock in my life. So for me, it, quite genuinely, without that sounding mm. melodramatic, it is everything. It's my. It's one of my favorite uh, descriptions of the Lord, and uh, I'm delighted that it sits at the heart of what we call the Christmas story. And I mean, we have explored ideas around Jesus and His desire to be close to us, and His desire to connect with us, and to find Him in the the worst as well as the best of moments. We've talked about that sort of stuff before, but for for people who have no experience of what that idea of God walking with us, talking with us, um getting perilously close to quoting a hymn there, aren't I? But <laughs> if they have no experience, how is that manifest, that sense of God with you, how does it manifest in your life? Uh, well, I mean, if, if I can speak personally, perhaps, and, and then we'll flow out of there, it's the sense of, I, I think, uh, I, I get an understanding of his presence with me through his word, through the promises he makes to his people, through the commitments he's made through that agreement and that covenant. And I think there are moments when I cannot see him, I cannot feel him, I don't experience anything dynamic or physical, and yet I trust his word to me when he says, I am with you, I am walking with you, I'm leading you, I'm guiding you. And so I think the manifestation of his word is a great uh, uh, encouragement towards his presence for me personally. And I think it's wonderful to be emerging out of the lockdown that we're not, we're not quite emerging out of the pandemic yet, but of course, for me, a great expression of his presence with us is in gathered uh, Christian community. When, when other followers of Jesus gather together one with another, and the main thing we have in common is our love for Jesus. And over and over again, I have, experience something of, we might say, a tangible sense of the presence of the Lord uh, with us in the midst of gathered community, in the midst of beautiful people of diversity and brokenness. Um, and yet, in, in as we've worshipped, as we've gathered around word, as we fellowship together, I've experienced that. And, and, and then I would say, uh, and this is where I do believe in this wonderful supernatural element, I I have experienced what I would believe is a sense of the presence of God personally and directly to me in difficult moments, in moments when I have been blessed and in moments when I have been deeply challenged, where the Lord has come near to me mm. and where I have, can I use the language, felt his presence where I have experienced comfort, and that's not coming from anything that's in me or anything that's around me, but it seems to be coming from someone that is above me. Uh, and I've experienced all of those as um, representations, as, as expressions of the presence of, of the Lord in my life, that commitment to being with us, which is one of the greatest in the world. And I suppose fundamentally, whilst there would be emotional and spiritual um, experiences in all of that, as you said, they all have that foundation that all of that flows out of the fact that God promises Emmanuel, God with us. And Isaiah is a very familiar passage where people would maybe identify that, but there are lots of other images and themes throughout the Bible that carry that essence that perhaps 
Would we even go as far as to say that Emmanuel, God with us, is the basic premise of all scripture? I I would absolutely 100% agree with you. I think from the opening pages of the first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis, we, we see a proactive God. Let us let us make humankind in our image. So we see a God introduced to us in the very first statement of the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In, in our English Bible, it's 10 words. In the Hebrew Bible, it is seven words forming a perfect sentence, a complete sentence as the opening of the scriptures. And it's not just a declaration about what's about to come next in terms of the technicality of creation. I think if we if we read the Genesis account looking for the technicals, I think we're missing the point. I think what we're introduced to is this God, and we're we're being asked to ask the question, who is this God? And of and then the second thing we're introduced to is what this God does. He makes the universe, and the pinnacle of that creative process is humanity. And, and the question that's begging us to ask is, why does he do that? Uh, and so often people are asking, how did God do it? And that's the wrong question. I don't think Moses had that in his mind when he wrote this. I don't think the ancient believers even thought about this as an idea in terms of how God made the world. They would ask, who is God? Who is this God we're introduced to? And why? Is he making the world? And why, if this God is complete and self-sufficient in himself, eternal, self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, if this God then, in the pinnacle of creation, makes humans in his image, why would he do that? And I think in the making of humanity and the leaning into that sense that this is a God who wants to share himself with something or someone like himself, different, but like himself. I think if you can grab that idea right at the beginning, that sets the trajectory Mm. for the scriptures where God is constantly reaching out. The Lord is reaching out over and over again to engage with people and to be with people uh, and in the hope that they will open up their heart to be with him. And I suppose that Garden of Eden imagery carries a very clear message about what God means when he says, I am with you, because it's not Mm. just I am observing you. I mean, for Adam and Eve in the garden, it was very much face to face, wasn't it? It totally was. And and in fact, there's a beautiful nuance in the Hebrew text, which sometimes we miss you know, because we're we're rushing to some of the big punchlines. But in, in Genesis chapter two and verse seven, it says this, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. It's very explicit in mm. the Hebrew text. Nostrils is what's named the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And, and I want you just to, just to, just to go with me in total literalism here, Paul, imagine the scene. This is a perfectly formed human man lying on the ground, uh, but he lacks life. And so how does the life come to him? The life comes by God breathing up his nose. Now, imagine this for a moment uh, and and think about this idea. In order to breathe up his nose, Mm. if we take it super literally, the Lord has to get right up close to the man's face. Okay, so so in order to breathe, even with someone like me who has a a fairly generously proportioned nose, the Lord still has to get pretty close in order to breathe up up my nostrils. And then imagine this idea if you're prepared to work with my 
my, my literal idea that then when the man comes to life, he opens his eyes. The first thing he sees is the face of God. Mm. So you've got mm. there in the creation moment, intimacy in that the breath of God, God has to get close to the face of the man to put his breath up the man's nostril. And then when the man opens his eyes, the first thing he sees is the face of God. And I think that sets the tone. This God who wants to walk in the cool of the evening with the humans, this God who wants to have relationship, this God who wants to be intimate, this God who wants them to know his heart and who wants to know every, as it were, detail of their lives. And I think there's a beautiful motif where it says in Genesis that the man and woman were naked and felt no shame. There was a sense they were naked before each other. And they were naked before God. And there was literally nothing between their face and God's face. And I think that's the beautiful sort of beginning moment of the human story and how God intended it to be. And that is a phenomenal step beyond how many of us interpret God's desire to be with us. Because, well, I alluded to it, I suppose, just a moment ago. I said, very often we perceive God with us as God observing us or walking alongside us. But, I mean, th this is this imagery is there's no distance, no separation. This is arms round each other. This is in close, close proximity. This is every, every experience of life being shared, every potential being grasped together, every danger being faced together. I mean, this is why do we... Why do we push it away, do you think? Why, why do we create that space in our interpretation of Emmanuel, God with us? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a great question. And I think, I think some of that comes out of our brokenness, Paul. I think there's a sense in which humanity's main story has been post the fall. You know, we have this beautiful imagery of the face-to-faceness of God and our first parents. But then sin comes into the world and there's a separation. The first thing our parents do is run for the bushes and literally cover themselves up before God. Um, and this, this terrible separation takes place. And I think one of the great challenges to receiving Emmanuel, to receiving the reality that the Lord loves us, that the Lord is, is relentlessly committed to us and that the Lord is with us is our own brokenness. We at times feel so inadequate. We feel like we should be doing more to earn this, that, that I, I, I'm very comfortable with the idea of God looking on in my world, but not being in my world because I know what my world's like. Yes, I know yeah. who I am. Everywhere I go, I go with me. You know, so my own brokenness is, is part of my reality. And that can often push the Lord away, push the grace of this incredible statement away, push his generosity away, because there is something with us that feels we don't really deserve this idea that the Lord would be with us uh, regardless of our state. And, and I think it's that journey that we see throughout the whole of the scriptures where humans are coming to terms with a God who wants to be with them when they themselves are perhaps feeling somewhat inadequate yes. of that call and that reality. Even though the gift of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection 
creates the space where we are made worthy, where we are accepted. And I mean, Paul talks in in terms of us carrying Jesus with us and whatever we do, we join him to it because we join ourselves to it. Now, that's a there's a, an issue there around temptation and sin and all, all that sort of thing. But the thing is, it's not just that God has done this through Jesus. It's that God wanted to do it in sending Jesus. He was proactive in this before we could even conceive of the possibility. True. And and I think that is the power at the heart of the Christmas story. It's it's to many people it's such a familiar story, and yet it has at the heart of it one of the most radical revolutionary ideas that any human could engage with. And it's the idea that not only did God come to be with us in the in the form of Jesus Christ uh, in his incarnation, but that actually he wanted to do that. He's always wanted to do that. And in fact, his heart has always been to engage with men and women, to walk with them, to uh, reveal himself to them, and to enrich them and enable them to become everything he originally designed mm. us to be in that first image moment. And, and if we can embrace that reality, it is a genuinely life-changing uh, reality because uh, it's not about what I can do that attracts the God, this God to me. It's the fact that he is relentlessly pursuing me, relentlessly pursuing humans. And that relentlessness is seen not only throughout the scriptures, but, but climactically in the coming of Jesus Christ to the world in what we would call the incarnation. Uh, and and uh, if we can embrace that, it is a life-changing idea. You're listening to UCB Life Issues. Find the Life Issues podcast, of course, wherever you download yours. And my guest talking about the imagery and the idea and the concept of Emmanuel, God with us, is Dr. John Andrews. You can find his podcast wherever you download yours as well, or by going to twotexts.com. When we asked you to think about this and, and sort of prepare some thoughts for us around this topic, John, one of the things which I confess I was slightly surprised by was to find you going to Exodus and to the, mm. the image of the Lord's presence among his people as well as with us as individuals. But I suppose there's a logic to it because in many ways God's presence, Emmanuel, in us, with us, sets us apart from this world that we are in and gives us an identity. Well, it does. And you've got this magnificent moment, which Exodus represents, of the Lord rescuing his people from slavery, quite literally. And they become, um, in a beautiful way, in a, in a voluntary way, they become the slaves of the Lord. They, they go from being the the oppressed slaves of Pharaoh to becoming the servants of the Lord in the most beautiful way. And, and the Lord leads them out, not just to lead them to a new land, but to lead them to a dynamic new experience and relationship. He wants to be at the center of their world. And it's striking, for example, in Exodus, we're told that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. 
as one speaks with a friend. And that's an echo of the relationship with Abraham, the first uh, great person who walks with the Lord in covenant. Uh, Three times in the scriptures, Abraham is described as the friend of God. And you get this incredible idea of the Lord. Now, not just wanting to make a special agreement with an Abraham or with a Moses or a Jacob or an Isaac, but he seems now to want to make a dynamic covenantal relationship with a community, with a people, with a nation. Uh, when when it, when uh, Jacob and his family went into Egypt, they went in as a family. When they emerge from Egypt, they emerge as a nation. And the Lord is now shaping this nation. But he wants a special nation. He wants a kingdom of priests, according to Exodus 19. And he wants a holy nation. He wants... A, a, a community to have him at the center and then to represent him to the world, to export him to the world, but also to example him to the world. But in order for him to be exported to the world as a kingdom of priests and to be exampled as a holy nation, the Lord has to sit in the middle of this community. He has to be at the center of their psyche, the center of their spirituality, and the center of their society. And that's really what the book of Exodus is about. It's about God beginning the journey of shaping a nation around himself so that a nation can truly have a face-to-face relationship with him and represent him to the world. And we see that beautifully from Mount Sinai, right through the text into the into the land of promise, as it were, uh, in that experience. So what does that mean for us in our, certainly in the West, individualized world? Yeah, well, I think the New Testament writers help us with this. So I think the Lord, the, the Bible celebrates individuality. Uh, uh, like no other book, in my opinion. So the individuality of the human is celebrated from the opening pages of Genesis right through the scriptures. However, what, what the scriptures tend to resist is individualism. So individuality says, I am special, and the Bible declares that as a great message. And Christmas is a great time to celebrate the uniqueness and specialness of every individual made in the image of the Lord. What the Bible resists is the individualism, which says, I am enough. Mm. And actually, we in the West love an individualism when it comes to our faith, which I think pushes against a community understanding of our faith, which, which the scriptures is rooted in. Remember, the Bible is written in a dominantly Hebrew culture, uh, and, and, and even though it has a sort of a Hellenist uh, and, and Greek worldview in the New Testament, most of the writers are from a Hebrew background. Uh, most of that idea of faith is not just rooted in an individual like Abraham walking with the Lord, but in a kingdom of priests, in a holy nation that is centered around him. And Peter picks this up. I mean, almost word for word. If you look at Peter, Peter's words and Exodus 19, it's like he has literally lifted this idea. And Peter says of the church, of the gathered community, he says, but you're a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I mean, that's language used in Exodus 19, so that you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says this, listen to these beautiful words, Paul. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. And Peter's picking up exactly the idea of Exodus, only In the New Testament, this new community is centered around Jesus, and he's saying God wants his presence 
to be in this community. He wants his presence to be at the center of this gathered community. And he wants everyone who claims to be part of this community to understand that you're that the presence of God is not just an individual experience, but a collective expectation that we are called as a community to experience collectively the presence of the Lord God with us in the midst of us. And uh, I think that's carried the whole way through the scriptures. And doesn't just affect our relationship with him and our experience of him, but surely if if we are in community and God is in the heart of that community and Emmanuel is with us in the relationship that exists between you and me, that affects not only my relationship with you, but also my openness to you, my sense of commitment and loyalty to you, my willingness to support you, my patience, my, well, maybe your patience with me rather than me with you. <laughs> but doesn't it, it, it's... It's not just a, an academic figurehead idea, this. No, it's transformational. So if we really believe that the person, for example, let's think about my local church. If I really believe that the person sitting beside me, socially distanced or not, um, is made in the image of God as a fundamental idea, that changes the way I think about them. If I then add another layer to that, that this person has been bought, purchased, redeemed um, by the love, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ, then, then actually I cannot view them without considering that idea. Mm. And if we take those ideas seriously, they have the potential I mean, we have to let them, of course, but they have the potential to then transform the way I think about my neighbor and transform the way I behave towards my neighbor. So thinking of humanity in general, what helps me is that every human, whoever they are, whatever their flavor, what, whatever their position, whatever their label, whatever their badge, every human is made in the image of God. So that's my fundamental default starting place. But then in the gathered community of faith, there's another layer to that, that I am now engaging with people who have been redeemed by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And therefore, that must transform and challenge the way I think about them and the way I relate to them. And we'll maybe cycle back to this sort of in a moment or two, but was absolutely taking on board that thought about those who share that redemptive experience of Jesus. It does also, though, if... If God's will was Emmanuel to create a mechanism by which he could be with us before the way of salvation was made clear, then it must also affect our, our attitude towards those who are outside the community, who have not yet found their way into that relationship, doesn't it? Totally. And, and of course, what's beautiful about the birth narrative in the Gospels, especially Luke's version um, probably written with a lot of help from Mary, I would imagine. You know, uh, the message of this incredible deliverer who comes to earth is given to shepherds. It's given to people on the margins of society. Mm. Um, the, the magi who travel are, are not Jewish. So you've got, you've got people coming, converging on Jesus, uh, converging on this story, 
who are both marginalized within their own society and outsiders. They are actually technically foreigners uh, within this. And yet what? They are drawn in. They are pulled in. The, uh, as Matthew talks about the Magi, and which is interesting from a Jewish perspective, these outsiders are drawn in as Luke introduces the margins to us with the shepherds. This, this is a transformational idea that, that the good news of God being with us is is not just announced to the to the hardcore faithful, but it's announced to the fringes of society, yeah. and it's announced to the foreigner right from the beginning. And that is an unmissable motif, even within the birth narrative of Jesus, and one which I think a community of faith must remember at this time, that, that, that Emmanuel is not just a cool idea for us who have faith, but Emmanuel is, is, a, is a life-giving idea to every human. And it's our responsibility as the community of faith to ensure that as many people get to engage with that amazing possibility as possible in our world. And Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, comes into the world. And as the carol says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. He takes on human form. He, he, he doesn't just come alongside us. He becomes us incredible it's incredible um john's gospel begins with what sometimes is called in technical terms a prologue the first 18 verses and the first 18 verses of john sort of create the framework for us to understand the rest of john's gospel and you cannot help but hear the genesis echo in john's gospel he begins in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then he goes on to say this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. So we're introduced to an incredible idea here, Paul, that in the same way that Moses writes in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's almost a sense in which we're not going to make sense of this story contained in the Old Testament unless we accept the idea that there's a God who so wanted to share himself that he created the universe and humanity is the pinnacle of that creation. So you've almost got to accept the idea of Genesis 1-1 in order to get the Old Testament. In the same way I think John writes this gospel, you've almost got to accept the idea that, that Jesus, as we know him, the Son of God, the Word was in the beginning, and that that Word came and tented himself with us. Now, there's a beautiful jump over here. So in the same way that God designs a tent in, in, in the midst of his people, the tabernacle, we sometimes refer to that, this tent, and he lives in this tent at the center of his community. John says to us, the word tented himself. Mm. Literally, the word is skenu. It's It is a tented one. He The imagery is unmissable, that this God who created the universe and tented himself with his people in the Old Testament. Now John identifies him as God the Son, the Word who becomes flesh and tents himself in the midst of all humanity so that all men, all women everywhere can see the glory of his presence and be drawn to the magnificence of his love. And those parallels are magnificently um drawn out by John as he shows us the God who was from the beginning tenting himself with us. And I think that's at the heart 
of this idea of Emmanuel, the one who tended himself with us. And again, it totally undermines the desire to put God over on a shelf somewhere or in heaven observing, looking down on us. It takes that idea, and even though the, the physical presence of Jesus is removed from the community now, the fact that he said, I give you another, the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, who will dwell amongst you. That that continued tenting, inhabiting, taking on the reality, it continues to draw him near to us. It does. It does. And, and I love John's language later on. So John writes this magnificent gospel. Later on, he writes to the church and he says echoes of his gospel. He says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And there is this incredible sense in which the gospels give us a, a dynamic physical insight into this amazing God who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, took on human form and became obedient to death and enters into the world physically, becomes 100% human, even though he remains 100% God, in order to show us what the Lord is like and in order to reveal himself to us and so that ordinary men and women could touch him and be transformed for him. And of course, in sending the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit becomes our helper, the one who literally, literally comes alongside us to help reveal Jesus to us, form Jesus in us and reveal Jesus through us. And so he has been given to us so that we can continue to enjoy the reality mm. of Emmanuel, God with us, with us is God in the midst of our uh, lives and community. And so if in the Old Testament, in Eden, God came, revealed himself to man, was intimate and on a personal level, intimate with the individual, connected with the individual's life and experience, and then developed that to God tented in the heart of his community. And then in the New Testament, we have God coming to us as a baby and revealing himself and connecting with us on an individual level through new life, new birth in our relationship with him, but also tenting himself in the heart of his community. How does the Old Testament idea of God's people as carriers of his presence into the world. How does that apply to us, the New Testament community, in our Emmanuel experience? Uh, well, I think it's seamless. I, I, there is absolutely no change in the trajectory of that. When we look at the Old Testament, we see a people framed around an amazing confession Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The great Shema, that sits as the unique confession. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord is alone. He is unique. There is no one like him. And Israel formed around this amazing confession. And their, their role, their job was to export this amazing God to the world and example him, kingdom of priests to the world, holy nation, 
exampling to the world so that when other nations looked in, they, they would see what God looked like through their social, physical, spiritual behavior. Everything about how Israel was to behave shaped around the Torah was to be that representation. That trajectory is seamlessly carried through into what we call the church or what is maybe more accurately called the called out community of Christ, the the community that has been called out by him, called to him and called for him. And this community that he's called has the dynamic of coming to him. It's centered around him. So in the same way that Israel was built around the Shema, we, the church, are built around a unique confession, the confession of Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the confession on which I believe the church is built. And then we are to carry that confession. Jesus said, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You are to be witnesses of me. And this is a beautiful idea here. It's not just that we're to go and tell people about church or tell them about religion. No, no. The idea of of the book of Acts, where Jesus literally sends his young disciples out, be witnesses of me, carry me to the world, take my presence to the world, take who I am to the world, take my message to the world. So the Christian community are, we are called to be witnesses of Jesus, to be witnesses of him to our world, and to say to the world, this idea that God is with us isn't just a historic reality, but it is a present experience. It is something that every person can experience. And one of the main vehicles that that presence goes to the world in message and in demonstration is through the community that claims to have his presence at the center of their world. And so the trajectory for me, Paul, is seamless. What God wanted in the garden, he then pursues in a nation. What Mm. God wanted in a nation, he then pursues through Jesus. And he pursues that through then another community called the church. And that church community is called to go to their world with this message that God is with us. And I suppose that's the, the full circle then, isn't it? that as we have received the message that God not just desires to be with us, but that God is with us, that colors and shapes our relationship with each other, as we said before, but it really should color and shape how we engage with the world around us rather than perhaps how we often rail at the world around us. For sure. And, you know, one of the things I love, if we want to go back to the example of Jesus, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he is so secure in who he is that he is able to sit with, eat with, share with, engage with virtually every strata of society within Mm. his own world. He's not threatened by any of that. He's not diminished by that. He's not less holy because of that. He's not less God because of that. He's not less Emmanuel because of that. In fact, if anything, he is more. He is more because what greater place to see the presence of God than in the brokenness of someone's world? What greater place to see the presence of God than round a dinner table where proper good religious people normally wouldn't go? What better place to see the presence of God than, than, than seeing a, a woman who is sinful anoint his feet and touch him? and grace him. What better place to see the presence of God than Jesus 
invited into the home of tax collectors and sinners. That's where the presence of God excels. That's where the presence of God should truly be demonstrated. And and actually in the incarnation, in, in that little baby, in that first Christmas scene, we have one of the greatest demonstrations of grace and mercy and loving kindness that says to the world, I will not wait for you to come to me. I will not expect you to find me, but I love you so much that I will come to you. I will seek you. I will search for you. I will sit with you. I will love on you. And if you will let me, I will presence myself among you and transform you. And that for me is why Emmanuel is one of the greatest titles of the Lord. And that for me is why it's everything. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, not just observing us, not just alongside us, not just occasionally turning up, but tented at the heart of his people to communicate to us the depth of his love and his desire so that we might show that to one another and in doing so, proclaim it to a world that desperately needs to see the beauty and the heart of God to be Emmanuel, God with us. You've been listening to UCB Life Issues. My guest this week is Dr. John Andrews. Find out more about John by going to his website, drjohnandrews.co.uk. John, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking time to share with us on this today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Thank you, Paul. Find the Life Issues podcast on the UCB Player app or indeed wherever you download yours. I'm Paul Hammond. Why not join me next week for another one? Ta-da! Ta-da!